0: Many of us have taken on problems that are a little bit too difficult for us. At the same time, the Lord has asked us to do some amazing things and extraordinary things. But we back down from that. What's the difference between giving up and not taking on the responsibilities that we should? Today, we're looking at the life of Moses who did just what we struggle with, taking on a project that's too big, but at the same time, backing down from one that he could handle with God's help. This sermon was originally recorded at Meadowview Elementary School, June 9th, 2013. Talking about salvation, and if you remember last week we talked in the book of Exodus some of the uh, principles of salvation. God saves us from slavery and God works behind the scenes when you don't necessarily see it. However, a principle doesn't save you, does it? The idea of salvation doesn't save you. You actually need not a principle, but a person. So we emphasized how important Jesus is to our salvation. And as we look at the book of Exodus as a whole, it starts in bondage to Pharaoh and it ends in worship. And those things are really uh, closely connected. One is slavery to a false god, in a sense, and the other one is, in a sense, slavery to the true God. So we're going to continue this series. We're in the book of Exodus, and we're going to be moving on to uh, chapter 3, which is kind of a fun chapter if you know the story. So chapter one of Exodus covered multiple generations, uh, many generations, all the way from Joseph all the way until the time of Moses, which is about 400 years. And it speeds through that pretty quickly, but then it slows down in chapter two as it talks about Moses. And Moses has an interesting story. You can think in your head, what are some of these interesting things about Moses he was supposed to be killed by the midwives. That wasn't working, so they said, "Okay, throw the baby boys in the Nile River," which might have been an act of worship because they worship the Nile River. the, the Nile River um, overflows every year, and that's how they do a lot of their um, farming. Farm. I don't know if they call it farming there. That's how they do a lot of their farming. So the mother puts Moses in the river. Of course, not in the way that Pharaoh intended. In this basket, and he floats down. And of course, who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter, which is pretty fantastic, and she says, hey, I want to raise this child as soon as it gets easier. So she hands him off until he's like four to the daughter's mother. So this is, this is uh, the son's mother. This is working out great. And then he, I don't know if she had a stipulation, I will not raise kids until they can catch a basketball. Maybe that was the rule. I'm not sure what it was. But at four, kids are a lot more fun. Maybe that's it. Uh, at four, kids kids—you know, say things during the children's lesson that you can't recover from. Things like this. This is kind of how it works. So they, uh, she gets this child back, he's raised up for 40 years inside of the palace, all this training, he would have been trained as commander and all this education, and then, um, well, he really messed up, right? He's got this problem, and he says, I'm going to fix it myself, we're going to talk about that in just a bit, and he ends up on the run for 40 years, which reminded me of a show, if any of you seen America's Most Wanted, it's not on the air anymore, with John Walsh. I think it's one of my, I, I, not that I sought it out, but it's one of those shows like when it's on, you kind of sit down and you watch it anyway because of the dramatizations as they try and catch criminals and they show you like a rundown where they have their tattoos. And then it's our job, right, to try and look at our neighbors, which is kind of, I'm glad none of my neighbors told me that. Yeah, America's Most Wanted is my favorite show. You know, they never told me that. But we're supposed to look at our neighbors and try and see. And the show works, doesn't it? It did work for a number of years. I bet it was on 15 years or so. Had local spinoffs and things like that. Because A, um, every one of us thinks one of our neighbors is a criminal. And B, they actually caught people. Wasn't that fascinating? And here's the thing that's fascinating to me. You watch the show Cops. Has anyone seen the show Cops? They actually filmed it south of where we were in Washington in Lakewood. We did not live in Lakewood but they filmed it in Lakewood, so you'd see places that you recognize. What happens in cops? When they catch, uh, they see a perpetrator, do they run or not run? Oh, they run like crazy, and that's the best part. I mean, the <laughs> and the, they're running and they're jumping fences and things like that. That's the best part. In the show, America's Most Wanted, when they finally get the criminal, have you ever seen one run ever? They're just done. They've been on the run for like a decade sometimes, sometimes two decades, and they finally catch them, and every time you see them, they just seem like this whipped puppy that's like, you know, I'm just done with this. Can you imagine functioning, looking behind your back all the time, never being able to relax and think, what if one of my snoopy neighbors recognizes me? Won't that be the worst? So this is really what we're on. Moses has been on the run from the largest government, the most powerful government at the time for 40 years. Pharaoh himself wants this guy dead. And he's been hiding out uh, over in the desert, no doubt probably looking over his shoulder. Uh, Do you wonder, did you think he told his new wife about the situation? I don't know. Like, what brought you here? I can't imagine that. If We just met our new neighbors. Our neighbor next door is moving out. They moved in. And the usual question is, oh, what brought you here work? It's always work. But I mean, you know, you're just making conversation. Can you imagine? Now I murdered somebody. Okay. Awesome. We'd get a dog. Even I would get a dog at that point. You know, this would be a little weird. So I don't know if Moses brought that up when he met Jethro and they said, hey, this guy's super nice and the daughters bring him home to meet the father-in-law. I can't imagine that comes up, that never came up when I met your dad because it's not true, that's why. (laughs) So this would be this awkward kind of thing. So for 40 years, maybe he's kept it to himself this whole time. He's killed a man. And when he saw a problem that he thought he could fix, he said, I'm going to take this guy's life and he's been on the run ever since. Is Moses all that different from you? How many of you have taken on projects that you probably shouldn't have taken on? Any, any takers there? It, it, if you own a house, this has happened to you already. You're like, I can fix the plumbing. And then you, you slowly, you've got to do this on your own, by the way. You can't do this with your spouse looking at it. Spouses are not allowed to answer at this point. How many of you are into quilting? How many of you have finished a quilt? I think there's like a 10% ratio. I'm into quilting, I can say that, because no one who actually quilts finishes quilts. I think that's how it works. My mom was so guilty, felt so guilty about starting a quilt. Like when I was born, she started it when I was, uh, she, she had to be on bed rest because I was so 10 pounds, 10 ounces, and she couldn't walk around. So I was this huge baby. She starts the quilt. She felt so guilty about it, she finished it like 25 years later she said, I just got to get this thing done. And so you can imagine that for 25 years, the guilt of the quilt. The guilt of the quilt. I'm going to start a shirt. I'm going to start a website. The guilt of the quilt. So anyway, so have you started projects on? I was uh, thinking about changing out my car. Some of you know that I really enjoy my car. I I invested $1,050 into it. Um, Here's the dream car, which I've shown you before. This is a guy who redid it. I can't go this far because if you follow the posts how this guy rebuilt this diesel car, his girlfriend slash wife changes names throughout the post. So this is my indicator that I can't go this far. So I'm looking for this old Land Cruiser. I'm really interested in it. Here's one of the posts, and it says on Craigslist, project that got out of hand. I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's workable. Here's the pictures that he showed. The thing is completely taken apart. Now, I have that circle because if you're in the front row, you can see that's the only part I recognize. It's a steering wheel. So... $4,000. $4,000. You can get all what you need for this. Has this ever happened to you? You've started to do something in your basement or you've like tried some project that's a little bit too big and it gets out of hand. Isn't that really what happened to Moses? You can imagine like his heart going out to his people. He's raised in the cushy palace. Everything's fantastic. He's supposed to be dead. He gets all this great training. He gets the good food. Now he goes out and sees his Fellow Hebrews being beaten, his fellow Hebrews uh, being whipped, his fellow Hebrews having to actually work. And don't you think his heart would go out for that? And he decides, you know what, I'm going to do a little beating of my own. So he sees this supervisor beating one of his own people, and he thinks to himself, there's no witnesses, so there's no murder, there's no sin. But what's the problem? There's witnesses, there's murder. And there's certainly sin. So consumed by this, uh, he starts to hear about it. He gets nervous, and he runs off to Midian for 40 years. How old was Moses when he murdered that Egyptian? Do you know? He was about my age, 40. I round up. So he's about 40. He's been on the run for 40 years. So how old is Moses when the Lord appears to him? 80. So this 80-year-old man, the Lord is coming to him in this burning bush. He's been on the run for 40 years. You know, I wish, I should switch pictures. Um, I will in a second. I wish that our problems that we take on were just as silly as like a car, right? I wish it was just like some do-it-yourself project at home. This even happened to me yesterday. I'm changing out my wife. Smiles, you're the best, honey. So I'm changing the, it's like, man, I've got to come up with some good example of my own. Well, it happened yesterday. I I changed out the um, compressor on my car because the air conditioning's not working, and all the guys are like, yeah, that's not bad, not bad. It sounds great. I'm so confident in it. I was even done. Uh, My time for projects is multiply the internet guys by three. So if they say it takes like an hour, I multiply that by three, and it usually takes me about four hours then. Okay, so so I get it out, I'm all, it's all buttoned up, and I send Amy on her way, and she calls me, she's like, is it supposed to be shaking, and uh, the RPMs, are they supposed to be under 500 at a stop sign? <laughs> nah, belt could be too tight, so I just make something up, because I have no idea what's going on, so while she's at the store, I'm searching the internet, and I figured it out, I had to change, not to bore you again, change out the throttle body, I had to clean it out. So the guys who know are like, okay, good. So now it runs fine, correct? Okay, but this just happened to me yesterday. And the, what's even more serious, though, is about stuff that we take on that's too big, like projects. Is I think is it, it, when we do something wrong before someone, we sin. Have you ever tried to cover up with more sin, thinking that's going to like solve it somehow? You know, scripture is very clear. It says, if we confess our sins, he, talking about God, is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. That's pretty straightforward, right? This is the solution when you've got sin. But if we claim we have not sinned, who does that sound like? We make him out to be a liar and his words have no place in our lives. In a sense, when we try and pile on a solution to our sin with more sin, it just pulls us farther and farther. Has this ever happened to you? You do something wrong and someone, you could just admit it up front. You go, you know what, I'm just going to try and bend it a little bit and see if I can get away with it. I'm going to see if I can just kind of not let people know. Or you, instead of facing problems like in relationships or uh, with your spouse, you say, you know what, I'm just going to watch TV and pretend nothing's going on. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. I visited my sister. She owned a, um, a house in Oakland, California. And I remember at the time she bought this about a decade ago, two, two decades ago, <laughs> wow. uh, two decades ago, and she paid 300-some thousand dollars, which at the time, when I lived in Appleton, a house was like $65,000, so this was just unheard of. So we were expecting to see like this McMansion, beautiful, it was like a one-story fixer-upper. And I thought, I'm never moving to California, that's what I thought in my head. So we see it and she said, well, there used to be some burnt tiles. I remember seeing it. So we see these burnt sienna kind of tiles in the bathroom and they're really ugly versus the good-looking burnt sienna tiles that you're picturing. So there's these ugly tiles. Thanks to her husband's hammer, we left, we saw it the first week, knocks them all out. Amy and I go to visit there for our honeymoon. There's still no tiles in the bathroom. You probably had projects like that that just you're just too busy, you're too overwhelmed, you kind of just shut the door and say, I don't even want to think about them." You stuff them in the drawer. Um, you push it back in your calendar again and again and again. You have the email. How many of you have an email that just sits on the bottom that you just glance at every day and you're like, hmm, maybe tomorrow. And then it moves to the next day. I even have a thing called uh, Letter Me Later. So I can send an email. I can forward that email to Cyberspace, and then it just appears like a week later on a Friday. It just. Ta-da! It's really great, except that you're like, man, I should have dealt with that a week ago. She didn't want to deal with this. Is that how God operated? When he saw how ugly your sins were? When he saw how lousy they were, did God say, you know what? That's a little too much for me. No. Jesus said, I am absolutely committed. I'm absolutely going to live this perfect life. I'm absolutely going to put myself on the cross to remove this so you can be something different. And that's what we're going to talk about. Moses took on a problem that was too big for him, but God has changed him through forgiveness to do extraordinary things. How arrogant do you think you have to be to kill somebody? I remember seeing a movie once, and I can't remember the name of it, and I wasn't going to Google through the trouble, but essentially it was about a film that this very rich guy had that he actually had a film, he paid someone to go murder someone else and he put it on film and this was like in his vault and that was the premise of this movie. I didn't say it was a good movie. But how arrogant you have to be to take someone else's life? Moses was in a position, in his arrogance at 40 years old, ready to take on the world that said, you know what, I am so important and my ideas are so important and I am so great That I'm going to snuff this life out. And now he's running with the guilt for 40 years, sitting on his shoulders and feeling awful. And this is where we pick it up. Uh, This is uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. It says, There's an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames. This is on Mount Horeb. This is different than Mount Sinai, but probably in the same mountain ranges. Uh, The mountains there are about 7,000 feet high, so not as high as our mountains, but about 7,000 feet high. And when the valleys would dry up, if you're raising sheep, they say that there was some vegetation up on the mountain. So that seems to be why he's on this mountain. So Moses saw that though a bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, we even know Moses' thoughts. He's the one who wrote this book. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why this bush doesn't burn up. So who's, who's talking to him through the bush? We have two named angels in the Bible. Do you know those two? One is the messenger angel, usually at Christmas time you hear about Gabriel. The other one is more of a, seems to be a warrior angel and Michael. Which one, of this, which one of those two is this? Neither one. So that's my trick question. You can see this lighten up. We, we get a clue here. It says, when the Lord saw. So before Jesus was Jesus, does this make sense? All right, so I'll talk slowly. Before Jesus was Jesus, we call him the pre-incarnate, pre-flesh, Christ. And often in Scripture, it seems he's the one who's appearing. So it says the Lord. So God himself is talking to Moses. So when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, he said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing standing, is holy ground. Then he said the statement that changed this whole Scenario. I don't know who Moses thought was talking to him in a bush. Maybe that happens like when you like, tend sheep for 40 years in the desert. But this changes the whole conversation. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hides his face. He freaks out. And why is that? God spoke and had a relationship with each of these men. With Abraham, he spoke to directly. With Isaac, he spoke to directly. With Jacob, he wrestled with Jacob. So imagine this. Moses is now realizing, wait a second, this is the God who interacts with human beings. This is the true God. This isn't just something going on in my brain. The true God is now speaking to me at this time. So let's just think about this. Um, Abraham had a son named Isaac, right? And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then Jacob had a son named... He had like 12. You know, he had 10 sons. It's a lot. But none of those is Moses. So this is like 400 years. No one that we know of has spoken to God directly for like 400 years. And so Moses is just hanging out, minding his own business, and then the true God shows up and wants to talk to him. As far as we know, God has not talked directly to people in years. Could you imagine if you're just hanging out on a hill and God says, you know what, I decided I want to talk to you directly. Pretty awesome. So Moses freaks out, he hides his face, and the Lord said, this pump-up speech for Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Things have not changed. Moses tried to solve it, it didn't work. I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Now what kind of God do we have? Impersonal or personal? There's a belief that the people who founded the country are deists, and the idea of deists is like, um, the world is like an ant farm. And how many of you tend and water your ant farm if you've ever had one? How many of you are smart enough to put like a whole colony of bugs in your house? I'm not. (laughs) Um, But you don't really do anything with it, right? You start the ants and you just let them rip. There's this idea that God had the world, he just let it spin is kind of interested to see what happens in the end. Is that the kind of God we have? No, God says, that's the closest I could get to underlining. Blue didn't do much. God says, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And you can imagine Moses like, yes, amen, Lord. And to bring them up from the land into, this is exactly what Moses wanted to do spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and the home of all these people. And now the cry of Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Can you just imagine Moses going, Lord, that is exactly what I saw. God, we are on the same page. God, we're like this. We're, we're on the same page here. I saw them suffering. I saw them hurting. I think, God, it's time you go and do something about it. And God says, no. So go, I'm sending you. I don't know how I'm going to be. I'm already tired at 37. But when I'm 80 and the Lord comes to me and says, I want you to go to the most powerful nation in the world, go right up to their leader and take my people out of there. I want you to lead these people into the desert, away from them. Who's up for that? If God wakes me up and when I'm 80 and says, I want you to get out of bed, I'll say, yes, Lord. We're on the same page here. I need your strength. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people. So you can just imagine Moses with his face hidden going like, this is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. I don't like this. Out of Egypt, but Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Is this false humility, do you think? Or is he really wondering, you know, really, who am I? I've been sitting out in the the Midian desert of humility for 40 years. Who am I to do this? Maybe a little of both. And God continues And God said, I will be with you. And then he tells them, this is going to be a sign. You're going to worship me on this mountain. We have a couple similarities, I think, with Moses. One is we take on projects we probably shouldn't. Has that happened to you? But we also back down from promises and projects that God has said, I am with you. I'm giving you the strength to do this. Moses had the gifts. He's had the training. But there was something that was missing in his life. What was that? Forty years he had this training in the, at the palace of the pharaoh. He had power. He had vigor. He had strength. He had passion. But what was missing for him to be an ultimate leader? little humility. How arrogant do you have to be to take someone else's life? Forty years raising sheep in the desert seemed to have changed that. And now say, rather than saying, I want to take on the world, he's saying, Lord, I don't know if I can do it. God has given each of you particular gifts. We see that in the Scripture. I don't know what your particular gifts are, but God has given you particular gifts. Some of you to serve, some of you to teach, some of you to lead, and God is saying, I want you to take on some projects, probably more than you're doing now. Instead of backing down to say, God, I don't have the strength, I don't have the time, I don't have the effort, God is saying, I have given you the ability, and I will be with you. What kind of God is this? Moses asks one more question. He says, what if I go to them? And, you know, I say like, God sent me to you, and they're like, what's his name? You can just imagine, it sounds like kids. What's his name? And he says, and God says this, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to me, goes on, and then he said, this is my name forever. The same God who created the world is the same one who appeared to Moses. The same God who appeared to Moses is the same one who comes to you and says, I know you're about ready to face some things that are over your head. And there's things maybe in your marriage or your life or work or, and you're thinking, you know, this is too big for me. I shouldn't be doing this. God is saying, I'm with you. If your mind is on the same mind as God's mind, he's going to be with you. If your mind is on the same place that says, I want people to hear about you, so does if God, you say, God, I want to care about people, so does God. If God wants you to love those people who are insignificant in this world, so does God. And he says, I will be with you to bless you and give you that strength. Amen.